You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 95. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Michael Bartz, tiny home advocate who is on a mission to helping the environment. We talk about his journey toward minimalism, decluttering from a traditional home down to a tiny home, and how this adventure had him looking at saving the world in a new light. It is an interesting conversation, and he definitely opened my eyes up, so I hope you enjoy it too. Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. I'm thrilled you're here with me, and I am so excited to be bringing guests back on the show. I am always inspired by learning from others, and every time I speak with a guest, it encourages me more on my journey, so I hope they work the same for you. When I talk to people about minimalism and decluttering, the subject of the environment often comes up. After all, living with less does decrease your consumer tendencies and it lowers your carbon footprint that we all hear so much about these days. I will admit, though, that I am no expert when it comes to green living, and that's why I was excited to have Michael come on the show today. Michael is the producer and host of the In Over My Head podcast, and he follows his journey to lower his environmental footprint by building a 175-square-foot off-grid tiny home. He felt overwhelmed by trying to save the planet, quote-unquote, and wasn't sure if all his downsizing and minimizing was really making a difference, so he decided to bring in the experts. Each season, he's tackling a different aspect of the environment, and it's just a really interesting concept. Michael and his partner, Sarah, live in their tiny home on a farm in southern Alberta, where he, when he's not podcasting, he can be found pursuing his creative endeavors of acting and writing or being active in hiking in the Rockies. The information Michael presents is different than the cookie cutter information we all hear all the time, and you'll hear me struggle with it a little bit, but that's why I love having guests on this show. It's a wonderful way to grow and learn. I really enjoyed this conversation and I should have kept recording as we had a hard time ending our conversation and talked a little bit longer after I hit the stop button. So maybe I'll have to have Michael back again and we can dive a little bit deeper. So give it a listen and let me know what you think by heading over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 95 and you can get the show notes there for today's episode with links to Michael's website and podcast. And again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 95. And there you can also find my email if you want to reach out to me and tell me what you thought. Okay, now let's get to our conversation. Well, hi, Michael. Welcome to the Wannabe Minimalist Show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Deanna. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. So this is super fun because I have to be honest, you are the first male I have had on the podcast. This is great. So I actually didn't tell you that beforehand, but (laughs) You're the first one. So this will be really fun. So we are connecting today on more of a kind of a different aspect. I've been doing a lot of um, things with money lately or, you know, furniture and decluttering those kinds of things. And obviously we will talk about that today, but we are going to do a lot more toward tiny living and in the environment. And I'm really excited to talk about this because I haven't actually talked too much about this on my show. So why don't we start with you telling us, um, you know, telling me a little bit about yourself and what led you to this tiny living world? For sure. Yeah. So I'm Michael. I live in Canada and I'm a, a, an actor by trade. And I also do a, a podcast, the In Over My Head podcast. And I also write and make films and things like that. And in 2017, I decided to build my own off grid tiny house. And at that time, I was in my late 20s. And I had just come out of a, an eight-year relationship and I was single and I was kind of looking at, okay, what does life look like for me as a single person? And I thought about it a lot and things that came out for me was like, all right, maybe I want to go back to school. Um, maybe I want to travel. Um, also, buying a house, I guess, is something I should probably do in my late 20s. You know, I'm going to be a responsible person. And I was thinking about all those things and and somehow that idea of of tiny living came up in a tiny house. And to me, it kind of, brought all of of my ideas together and that I could, since I'm building it, 
you know, kind of go back to school in a way. And then I'm, I have this project I'm learning, I'm growing. Um, and then also I could travel with it because it's going to be on wheels. So I don't have to necessarily stay in one place because I didn't know what my life was going to look like. And then of course, that idea of buying a house that on a foundation, a regular house, like, Hey, now I'm kind of stuck there into a mortgage. And I didn't want to just, I know you've done a lot of traveling and traveling is great, but traveling extensively and then coming back and just having nothing. And so the idea of having a home to come back to really, really resonated with me, but this way I could bring it with me. So it really was the best of, of all worlds. I love that. Okay. So I love the fact that you took a big life change and you turned it into something positive. Um, absolutely. And those questions, right? I mean, especially in, in the twenties, right? When you're in your twenties, life is, you're still kind of figuring things out. And, and I do think that was such a smart move to, and how lucky are we now that this is a movement that has gained steam, that has gained popularity. It gives people the freedom, I think, to think outside the box and to do something that's a little different. So, you know, I don't think tiny houses weren't really a big thing when I was in my late twenties. <laughs> um, but you no, know, it's awesome. We did an RV trip. Granted, it was with my parents over the summer, so that's a total different ball game. Um, but yes, we traveled a lot, and in our way of doing kind of this, you know, not buying the the stuck house was that travel, right? I mean, we would do a month at a time in a different country and it was a lot of fun, but you're right. We didn't have anything to come back to. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I think that's super awesome. How big is your tiny house? It's uh, 175 square feet. So Ooh, yeah, it's pretty tiny. A, that's a tiny, tiny house. Yeah, that's 24 feet long, eight, eight and a half on the outside. Okay. Wide, and is so. it still just you there? Uh, it's me and my, my partner, Sarah, and, and our cats. So awesome. Yeah, How many quite cats? A few. Uh, we have we have three cats actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah. but actually, awesome. a tiny house is quite conducive to cats because there's lots of different spaces and different levels, right? They With the stairs and other things, right? And they yeah, yeah. A dog, little ones anyway. Not so much, but yeah, the cats do. They do okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So you said it was kind of that freedom that led you to the tiny house, and also having something to call your own, something to come back to. But you also, I know you talk a lot about the environment and is that something that led you to tiny living and how has that, you know, how has that shaped how you're living now? Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely a, an aspect of, of living tiny that, that appealed to me, right? Because as a, a person who is environmentally conscious, I think about what sort of impact does my life have on the environment and how can I lower my environmental footprint and the house you live in is really such a big part of that and the things you fill it with and such so definitely moving into a tiny house was a big part of that and also because I built it myself being able to say I want it to be off grid so what does that look like whereas if I had a, a traditional house in a city there's a, a lot more that is involved with that as far as adding solar panels or, or geothermal or something so with it being such a, a small house I'm able to power it a lot more easily with solar as opposed to a 2000 square foot house for that. So yeah, definitely that was a consideration was the environment. Fantastic. Okay. We'll jump into that a little bit more, but I want to go quickly. You were just said like you built it yourself. Well, how in the world did you, first off, what made you think like I can do this? Cause I think that in and of itself is a big thing. And then how did you get started? Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's I, like we talked about tiny houses, even in 2017, weren't like a brand new idea. It was it was new, but there were still people doing it. So that really helped in in my inspiration and, and my ability to do it because I grew up building things. I was always pretty handy. I after art school, I framed houses for a while to pay off my student loans. And um, like so I, I knew how to build things, but I obviously like I'd never tackled such a big project as far as the plumbing and the electrical and the the siding and the windows and everything that goes into a house. And it's even that much more complicated with a tiny house, because as you've seen in lots of the, the probably photos on Instagram and things, you just, you have to get so creative with the space. You have to put you know, um, drawers in your stairs and everything has to be storage. And, and you have to obviously get rid of a lot of things. So in designing that space, it was an extra challenge. So for me, it was a lot of self-learning and lots of you know, those YouTube videos of other people who had done it, who had been there already. I went to um, actually in Colorado, the 
National Tiny House Jamboree in 2016 and went down there and it was a convention of tiny houses. So I got to meet people who were doing it and, and see tiny houses. That was actually a really big thing is it's one thing to see them online, but to actually be in them and, and see, okay, well, how does this actually feel? Because you, know, you talked about traveling in an RV, like my parents have a 24 foot motor home and it feels way smaller because it's just, it's just the ceiling is maybe six, six and a half feet tall, whereas I've got 10 feet on, on in my tiny house. So how that feels, that big open space really impacts just your quality of life and, and, and how you enjoy the space. So as far as building it, like, yeah, it took me four years. So it was <laughs> a lot of, a lot of starting and stopping and figuring it out and how does this work and, and learning. So, and it was thousands of hours. So it was a, it was an accomplishment for sure. Absolutely. Okay. There's two, uh, there's two more things I want to talk about in there. Okay. First off, how did you just, what, what was it that kept you going? I mean, four years, that's a long time. And I think I talk a lot about that with people in their homes. Like I try to say like, you have to create this vision and that vision has to be really powerful to power through kind of all of that. I mean, it's hard to declutter. It's hard to get your house to where you want to be. And I can imagine that is like tantamount to when you were doing a tiny house or this giant project you have in front of you. How did you keep the, you know, how did you just keep doing it day after day? Yeah, it's um, part of it was my partner, Sarah, who I met early on in the build. She was very, very encouraging because, yeah, I thought it would take me maybe a year. I'm like, yeah, I could do this in a year. And after a year, I was nowhere near being done. The framing was done, like some of the inside, but it was, it was so much. And part of that was because I chose to build everything myself. Like mm -hmm. I built the staircase. I built the recleaned oak countertop. I built the hinges on the door. Like there's so many little things that you not necessarily everyone does when they're building a tiny house. So there were times absolutely when I felt like I should quit and I should stop and this is crazy and stupid and it's just too much work. And that was, that was probably maybe year one. And then eventually I just, I just kept at it. And it was just, it was just every day, just choosing to prioritize that project and, and, and just do a little bit at a time. Right. And probably the same with, yeah. with, you know, decluttering your house. You can't just do it all in a weekend. Like it just takes time and you have to just take it in small chunks. So I'm focusing on, the framing this this and this portion and then the next part is the electrical and, and that's actually something that's nice about the house I guess in that project is that I can't do the siding at the beginning I have to do it at the end I have to you know there's certain steps so that kind of helped in my progress but it was a lot of a lot of mental work as well just to be motivated to keep doing it and especially because I didn't know what I was doing right it's like if I had done it a thousand times like oh yeah I got this but it was a brand new thing and I think it really comes back to that shift in my life when I suddenly was single and I had to decide what I wanted to do. Like it was such a, a profound change and my life shifted in such a big way that this is what I wanted to do. And I decided to complete that project and I, nothing was going to stop me in the end, even though in my back of my mind, I thought, uh, like, I can't do this. In, I never really wanted to quit like, like for sure. So that's, that's what kept me going. Awesome. Okay. So, and then you also said the next thing I was going to ask was the fact that you and your partner live there. And I didn't know if you had lived in the tiny house by yourself at first, or if you had always lived there together. So it sounds like maybe you had always lived there together once you finished it. Cause I was going to ask, how did you then take your, just your house, which was, you know, in the tiny house, probably just all your stuff and then bring another person into that, I think would have been really interesting, but you guys kind of lived there together. Yeah. The so, time. yeah. So I, we met early on in the build. So, um, yeah, we, we lived together in a, in a regular house. Maybe it was like it's 800 square feet. Um, but it was definitely a, a challenge to downsize even together in yeah. that smallest space, right? Like certain things, it was pretty easy, even in the kitchen, say like it was easier to get rid of some items and not others. But I think I know for my partner, Sarah, getting rid of her plants, like she had a whole bunch mm -hmm. of plants that, you know, she loves and they, but they take up lots of space and it's like, okay, now we have to really prioritize which plant. She had this big monstera that she loved that she had to, unfortunately, but she, she had to give it away, but she gave it to our friends. We've got two sets of friends who also love plants. It's like, you guys can just take care of these, these things. Nice. So it was, yeah, definitely a, a transition, but I think it made it easier that we did it together. Mm -hmm. and, and in some ways, actually, I would have liked to have built a house with her and actually designed it with her because right. she, she, I met her when I had already started. And it's like, and I couldn't really change the house drastically. And, and even now, like when I started building it in 2017, I imagined, okay, 
you have your house where you live, but you go to the gym and then you go to your office and you don't need all those things in your house. And then of course, you know, 2020, that's everything changed, right? And (laughs) and now we both work in our living room slash guest bedroom slash office, you know, in the tiny house. So that, that's uh, that was an interesting journey as well. Suddenly our house got that much smaller, but, but I was actually surprised even in 175 square feet, essentially a closet for some people, how easy it was to adapt where we thought we never thought, Oh, we're gonna have our office in our house. Of course. No, but we made it work. And so it's really about that adaptability. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So what has been one of your least favorite things about living in a tiny house? Yeah, I think for where we are, when I thought about that question, it was short showers. Like mm. We have to have very, very short showers because we are off grid. So we've got a 72 gallon um, freshwater tank that, that I haul water and fill. So it's like the shortest showers possible. Yeah. But that's really more about being off grid and not every tiny house is off grid. So I, I honestly, I can't think of anything that's my, my least favorite thing, actually. I think because I built it myself. I designed it. I, you know, it's, I put thousands of hours and, and love and patience into this project. It's like a child. Like I can't like not love this child. And so we just, we just adapt and, and, and work with it. And I guess, you know, there are limitations obviously with space. One thing I think about is we like to, you know, in the before times host people, travelers, oftentimes through, through couch surfing, we love, loved hosting people. And so I, I purposely planned the, as I said, the, um, living room, office slash guest room. The it we've got a couch which I'm sitting on right now, and it actually converts into a queen size guest bed, so we can host people. So we we might host people for a night or two, right? People are traveling through, but I couldn't imagine like my partner Sarah's from Spain, and her parents are mm. looking at maybe coming over at some point and visiting, like for two or three weeks. It just we just couldn't do it. It's like I we can't be you know putting the bed apart right. and and again for weeks. So it, there are limitations that way, but in some ways I see that as an advantage because it's like, Oh, sorry, we in-laws, we can't, can't host you and have to get a hotel, but it's all good. Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right. I'm going to circle back in a minute to the water, but what would you say to people? Or I'm sure people tell you all the time, they find out that you live in a tiny house and they go, oh, that's amazing, but I could never live in a tiny house. What, what's your normal response to that? Yeah. I, I see that as kind of two different types of people. I think there are people who say, I could never do it, but they want to. And to those people, I would say, yes, you can, you know, you just haven't tried hard enough, you know, like if give it a try, like I guess I'm not a, a, a special person by any means, I'm a normal person. And so if I can do it, you can do it too. Um, uh, then there's probably the, the other type of person who says, I could never do it. And I don't want to. And you know what, that's okay, too, right? As even being a minimalist, right? You can be a minimalist in a regular house, you can be a minimalist with two dogs and three kids and a cat and all sorts of things. So you don't necessarily have to live in 175 square feet to be a real minimalist. So I would say to those people, keep living your life and come visit. <laughs> Maybe I'll change your mind. I right. love it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I, I hear it all the time my, myself. So um, I could never have a capsule wardrobe or I could never sure. declutter all my stuff or, you know, it happens, but I think you're right. I do think there are the two people I, I've never really heard it put that way but i think you're totally right yes they they do secretly want to do it and they're just afraid afraid of what would happen afraid if they let go of the stuff afraid of you know they couldn't change back like i do think change is really hard Mm because you think but what if i prefer what i have now versus what i'm changing to but what i say to that is like it's all i mean life is constantly changing you can't stop it Mm -hmm. from changing and you can always make another change. You know, you could change back, go a little bit, keep the things you like, you know, and get rid of the things you don't. So yeah, people, yeah, people think like it's this big, huge permanent change, but really we could just sell the house and move into a regular house. It's not, it's not, nothing is permanent. You're right. And, and one thing I love about tiny houses is that one size doesn't fit all. And that's great. You know, there are people who have for two dogs and three kids and the cats in a tiny house, it's a bigger tiny house. And that's actually where the trend is going right now to triple axles to, to bigger tiny houses, because yeah, there's just people who want to do it, but they can't live in, in you know, hundred square feet. It's just not feasible, but they still want to maybe reduce their, their clutter or their environmental footprint. And how do you do that while still maintaining your quality of life? So yeah, there, there is definitely that room for, of, for flexibility and even in tiny living. Yeah. 
All right. I want to step back now into environmental friendliness because mm-hmm. I know that's a big, um, big thing. And that's a lot of what your podcast is about is about how can we can live better with the environment. And so one thing that I have been trying to do it not successfully. Um, so I would love your tips on it. You I was going back to the water. So we'll get mm-hmm. to that in maybe in a minute, or I don't know, we can talk about it now, or if you have any big tips, but so you have 72, a 72 ga- gallon tank. Yes. Mm-hmm. How often do you fill that up? It lasts about a week, sometimes week and a half. Yeah. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've short showers. Figure out how, okay. Short showers. <laughs> we don't take long showers. We have no. a tiny shower. Although I do have a, a kiddo and she likes baths. She doesn't like showers sure. yet. And that is a problem. Yeah. A big problem. But I don't bathe her every day. So that's kind of my. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you only take baths twice a week. So yeah. we're not to that point yet where you have to bathe every day. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other ways you have, well, actually, let me ask you this one first, and then we'll get into maybe more tips that might work for the rest of us. What is the craziest way you've tried to lower your carbon footprint? Yeah. So obviously like living in 175 square feet off grid is, is already crazy enough. I think of kind of, there's other elements of, of environmentalism. Um, two things that come to mind are transportation and how we get around and kind of a crazy thing we did last summer is that um, we uh, did a holiday trip to Fernie, BC. We're in Alberta, which is about a 300-mile round trip. And instead of driving, we decided to take our bicycles. So we biked for about five, six days in total from yeah, Alberta to, to British Columbia. And uh, yeah, that was really interesting. And in that way, we wanted to again, lower our, our environmental footprint of, of traveling. But it, it like I, I and I've done bike trips before, so it's not that wasn't our first time doing it. Sarah's it was, but I find traveling by bicycle it, like it's just such a more enriching experience. We stop places we normally wouldn't have. We saw things we wouldn't have seen. You're getting exercise. You can eat whatever you want because you're just burning so many calories. And so it just like shifting that mindset of of like how do we travel? How do we get around? And yeah, we we can do a 300 mile trip on by a bicycle, right? Like yeah, that would have taken. A day or two to drive but it was just such a fun time and we, and we definitely want to do it again so that's probably one of the the crazier things i've done recently to lower my footprint that's amazing oh my gosh but you have you actually you kind of have inspired me of like what could we do just even around town because sure. you know i have an eight-year-old we're not taking a 300 mile bike ride right i mean no. there are considerations in life but could we, instead of hopping in the car, I mean, I live in Southern California. Sure. Nothing is close. That part sucks yeah. about here. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of benefits to here. Public transportation, the ability to ride your bike, not yeah. necessarily one of them. But is there some place we could go? Like, could we ride our bikes to the beach or could we ride our bikes to go get ice cream instead? You know, yeah. Are there ways we could work that into our daily life. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially having kids like making it an adventure too, right? Like other than yes. just a, a chore or a task. Yeah. Absolutely. Or an adult, you can make it an adventure as an adult. Everything can be an adventure, even yeah. if you're older like me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we get back into some things that people can do. Like if, so someone like me, I need to cut down on our water. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I feel like we are pretty conscient, conscientious about our water, but mm-hmm looking at my last water bills, I can't even think what it was at the last time, but I was just, I felt like a really bad human being when I looked at the water bill and I was like, how are we using this much water every day? So for someone like me, that's living in a house that I'm not like, what are some good ways for us to start lowering our, you know, carbon footprint, being more environmentally friendly, being better, you know, stewards of our environment and our resources. Yeah, I think it's definitely a complicated issue. And that's that was the reason for doing my show. It's called In Over My Head, because that's how I felt when I want to save the planet. But I don't know if any yeah. of this stuff even is effective. So, um, yeah, and like that water example, you know, the, the, the reason that we let have 72 gallons last a week or sometimes two weeks is because we just have to. Like it really forces us, like, because I have to fill the water, physically have to like take a tank and go fill it up. And it, it makes it an extra step. And it's not always easy sometimes a real pain but it, it just really makes you very conscious of how much water you're using and in a regular house that most of, of your listeners probably live in that's just not a consideration at all right and and that's something I really find fascinating and thinking about that question um, I could tell you to you know turn down your thermostat or maybe 
bring your reusable mug to the coffee shop and that would make a difference, but that's nothing new. And, and actually, I don't think that's the right area to focus on. Cause like you said, you feel like a bad human being when you're, you're using water. It's like, like, that's not, it doesn't seem very healthy to me. So right. we're actually thinking about this question. I thought about two things that are simple things you could do that you may not normally hear. And, and I think actually are going to have a bigger impact. And that's really based on the conversations I've been having with, with my guests. And so forget about turning off your lights and, and all these, these small things that you have to keep up with day to day. So my first advice would be to actually get curious about climate change. Mm. And by that, I mean, like, stop tuning out the news, stop thinking that this is a horrible thing that's just out of my control, get curious about it, and start to think about, okay, how do how does climate change affect me and my community even don't even think about the world, because like, again, you're going to feel in over your head. Uh, so get curious about climate change. And maybe that looks like education. So maybe you start, you know, listening to a show like mine or another environmental show. Uh, you could read different books. A really great book that I've enjoyed is called A Citizen's Guide to Climate Success by Mark Jacquard. And that really frames the problem and how we can solve it. And some of the it debunks a lot of the myths. So I would tell you to get curious about climate change. And then the second thing that I've learned is to talk about it. You know, there's so much power in face-to-face -face conversations. It's not about yelling at someone on Twitter or something. It's, <laughs> it's talking with people about, okay, this is something that impacts me. And it's not necessarily about me always just using a little less water. Because although I think those things are helpful and they're good, not everyone is going to do that. And not everyone can, you know, if you have children, you can't just, we're going to bathe once a week, everyone, like yeah. <laughs> you have a certain quality of life. And I don't think that you should have to sacrifice that. So talking about it to your friends, your family, and then of course, the, the larger picture, maybe your, your government representatives to say that this is something that matters to me and let's change it. And here's how we can change it. So let, focusing less on that personal responsibility and more on the collective action is something that you can do. Hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, those, if we can focus on a bigger problem, that might, yeah, make the bigger impact, right? And if we can, right, because if I turn off my lights, but my neighbor sure doesn't, then yeah. is it really helping? Yeah, and then, and then not even, and people, some people can't, right? Because right. if you're a, a truck driver or you work in, in the fossil fuel industry or, or you just, like, every, carbon is, is so intertwined into our lives as far as even just shipping something on Amazon or mm -hmm. anything, right? You just, you, and I mean, me living this way, us living this way, is still sending a message saying, hey, this is where my values are and I'm gonna walk my talk. And I think that's very important. I think we should still keep doing those things, but I don't think we should be every day beating ourselves up about, oh, I didn't ride my bike today. Like, well, yeah, like, like you know, we've talked about with decluttering, like it's, it's a process and it takes time and there's these little steps you have to do. And, and yes, you can do all those things, but if you don't every day, I mean, yeah, don't, don't beat yourself up about it, but write a letter just to, to your representative saying, Hey, we need to get to net zero by 2030 or 2050. And it's important to me and my community. And this is what we need to do to get there. That bigger change, the regulations, the getting everyone involved is, is so much bigger than just, just personal responsibility. We will be right back. And now back to the show. Right. Interesting. Oh, I love looking at it from that perspective because and still, I think we all still need to do the things yeah. that we can. Like, I sure. don't think that we can skirt our personal responsibilities and say like, oh, well, you know, Nestle's still just taking water and, you know, reselling it. So that's fine. Um, that's a big thing here. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> right. Having, right. Because they don't pay for the water. Like we pay for sure. the water. They don't pay for the water oh, that they take yeah. and then they resell it to us. So then we're paying three times. Like it's crazy. Sure. Yes, right. Those big things make those big impacts. But then also take a take a shorter shower. I don't need to take a 15 minute shower. I don't take a 15 minute shower. I get ready in like five minutes. But mm -hmm. like, don't take a long shower. Try to, you know, we're going to try to start running our dishwasher a little bit less. And I don't know, put the gallon jug in the toilet so it doesn't use as much water and all those kinds of things. So yeah, yeah, you can, you can absolutely you can make changes to your house and to your life that that are being more environmentally friendly. But I guess I think the big part of the reason that I felt that in over my head feeling, feeling overwhelmed was because then you think about, all right, well, I want to put solar panels on my roof. Mm -hmm. And where, where do those come from? Probably from 
China, and then mm-hmm. there's there's resources that go into that. I want an electric car. Okay, well, how about all the batteries that the energy that takes to create those batteries and the waste and you just there's just so much involved. So, yeah. although these things are good, I think people sometimes it's misguided. I think if if I'm saying that correctly, like yeah, you you want to make the biggest impact you can, and I I still think like talking to my guests that personal responsibility just isn't isn't where it's at i I think yes living your values great but yeah there's so many things you could be doing even environmentally um even energy efficient light bulbs for say for example right like right how like the resources go into those and and you're having to like compare and do research on light bulbs and it's like and how much anxiety are you are you causing yourself by stressing about your light bulbs at night and where where you you know with 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 your example with the water right yes like You, you there's there's certain things you are out of your control per se. You can't necessarily regulate where your water comes from or how your your city deals with water, but but that can change. And I think that there's that that collective action problem as well, right? Like how can we work together? And and it it is a combination of things. But I I I wouldn't put the focus on necessarily every single day trying to to do that. And and I think. But that being said when I talk about getting curious about climate change and then talking about it with people, my two amazing tips for you, um, by doing those things, like you're, you're naturally going to take shorter showers. You're naturally going to look at, Oh yeah, maybe, you know, we do want an environmentally friendly washer, a more energy efficient one. So it kind of, it sets you up for success in that way that you're not trying to figure all these things out. What do I need to how does uh, my food impact my 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 carbon footprint and how do my kids diapers or whatever right like right. yeah just just get curious and go okay well oh, yeah. yeah how can i even just start with one little thing one little area that you want yeah. to maybe try to look into and improve yeah we went through that with the diapers sure oh gosh so we did right? cloth diapers for the first year then we traveled when she was a year mm-hmm. and we switched then to disposable because obviously <laughs> we were traveling and so yeah but it was it was it was anxiety inducing for sure because you think okay i'm gonna use cloth and it's gonna be great and it's renewable but then you're using water and all the detergent and all the stuff then you know so they almost offset each other right that is crazy so you just have to like it's so hard to decide what is the lesser of the two evils sometimes yeah right and then that's and there's a thousand decisions you have to make every day about that stuff and that's and that's but right. then you go look at like you know, your nestle example you look at yeah okay well the big polluters are actually the ones that are, are making the biggest impact and we're just letting them do that and you know and, and even you know go back to education so i in talking with my guests i found out that in canada about 80 percent of our power is actually made by renewable energy already and i didn't even know that right and so looking at that, it's like, I mean, I live in Alberta and that's one of the places that has like, we're working on it, but there is still quite a bit of coal here. Um, looking at that, like even within the tiny house or, or a regular house, instead of you saying, well, I have to put up solar panels, I have to do geothermal. Like, well, what if your power is already being generated by renewable energy on, on you know, that call it upstream um, right. further down the line? Maybe you don't have to put that personal investment in. And, and if you really, really want to, like, maybe there are subsidies to do that. So like it's it's a it's a big issue and i as much as yeah you you want to you want to focus on those little things i i think that really trips people up and it also puts the responsibility on individuals right and that's not necessarily productive because then you go well i have to do all these things and that person's not and well you know in the background these big companies are or huge polluters let's focus yeah. on them let's put the the problem where it actually lies and in fixing those problems that's going to make our lives easier. Cause I think for me, I would love to never talk about this again, right. To, to, <laughs> to never like have to, I could just live in a 2000 square foot house and take a shower when I want. And like, I, as much as I enjoy this lifestyle, I enjoy, you know, inspiring other people to, to, to do the same thing. I would love to live in a world where we didn't have to think about this. It just, we right. just made our power by renewable energy and it was clean and there was no pollution. And that's amazing. Like, how do we get there? instead of worrying about these little nitpicky things that although they help, they're, they're not the biggest problem. Right. So one thing I do encourage people to do though, is I, I try to encourage people to not rush out and buy new if they have something that works, right? Like I, it's, it's tough because I, 
when you declutter, I think you go through this process of feeling guilty about all the stuff you have and getting rid of it. And then how do you get rid of it? And can I recycle it? Is it still usable? You know, can I give it to somebody else? Does that then create a problem for them? So again, we're doing like this decision anxiety bubble, right? That we're, we were kind of talking about with how I can make my house better. But I do think that if we can live with less, and one of my favorite ways to do that is actually just to buy less in the first place. So you kind of use up what you have. Um, how, how do you feel about that? And um, where else do I want to go with that? I guess let's just start there. How do you feel about that? Or I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's definitely a good point. Yeah, something I did want to talk about in our conversation when you look at downsizing and decluttering is where does that waste go? And and as much as I say, like, don't focus on the little things, like, don't just go just crazy. And and, and actually, that was an example I was thinking of, um, possibly a, a negative uh, consequence of decluttering and downsizing. Like when the Marie Kondo craze hit, like everyone yes. was just, just en masse getting rid of stuff. And they were giving them to thrift stores. Like, that's great. I'll give it to a thrift store. But then they couldn't deal with with that volume. So now a lot of good items were going in the trash that didn't really need to, right? And then potentially if someone just en masse got rid of a whole bunch of stuff and then two, three weeks later, they think, oh, actually, I need that thing. They went and replaced that thing that they yeah. didn't actually need to replace. So yeah, you definitely, when you're looking at decluttering and minimalism from an environmental lens, you definitely have to be mindful of how you're getting rid of those things. But But yeah, I think- and you've you know probably talked about this with other guests, just going about that, you know, getting rid of things. Yeah, give it to someone else um, if that's possible. You know, we have a, a a policy in our house basically of like um, always buying used first if possible, right? So can I get something that's that already exists in the world? They don't have to order it new, and that helps in in getting rid of in waste in landfills, but also. Um, um, our environmental footprint yeah. and then talking about <laughs> buying things like i we have that that buy me once kind of philosophy as well where buying quality actually even though it might cost a bit more to start with um you're actually a saving money and also saving resources and that you're not replacing that thing after a, a year or two that it wears out and it breaks so right. you can definitely get rid of things and and declutter your life in a, an environmentally friendly way um, and, and it doesn't have to be anxiety inducing and, and overwhelming. Yeah. And I think too, with that education piece that you were talking about, kind of educating yourself to knowing what's going on and, and understanding, um, there have been some really interesting documentaries about, or just kind of, you know, videos about like the cycle, the life cycle of stuff. So I think that's really interesting. I'll link mm. to that if anybody's interested, but I do think that like part of it, like Part of me is like, I just get so angry that like one person, Bezos, has so much money. So I like, I try so hard to not buy something on Amazon and it's gotten somewhat difficult, right? Because then you have to go around to like different stores. You have to drive to different stores. I mean, you can get stuff online from like Target, but then is that much better? Um, you know, you kind of have that problem. But I do think there's one positive here. Amazon has gotten so terrible to shop on. Because okay. you never know the quality of the stuff you're going to get. Sure. And like, I've done that, right? I've purchased something where I thought it was good. I've gone through the reviews. I've tried to pay attention to what I'm buying. And then I get it and it's total crap. <laughs> and so I actually think that's a positive. And I'm hoping that more people have that experience. And then they just think, oh, I could live without that. I'm, it's awful, right? I don't want to use that. And then maybe they can live without it. I don't know. I'm slightly optimistic that this will trickle through but i'm not sure it will no yeah no i've had the, the same experience where i buy something <laughs> online or on, on amazon specifically and yeah it's the quality isn't there and, and that kind of goes to another element of of at least the environmental side is like buying locally and buying from yes. someone that you know and something you can see so that's another big part is, is yeah like when i order sometimes I, I read books or you know the research for the show i go to a, a local bookstore so now i'm i'm supporting a, a, the local economy the community I'm still yeah. getting the book that I want. I'm not giving it to Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And yeah, it's that it's it's a process. And like you talk about education and, and trying to yeah, obviously not buy things in the first place. I think part of my transition to downsizing was also about like transitioning to an artist lifestyle and also mm. limiting my my 
I went from a, a well-paying job in post-secondary to to nothing. And so, like, how do I live comfortably on on less money? And for me, that also kind of tied into the environmental side. So instead of buying a book like like that, I'm, I'm going to go buy this book because I've got the money, you know, or put it on credit, whatever. I would look for, can I find it somewhere else from someone else? Can I find it online for free? Just download it. Like, can, are there other ways that I can do what I want to do without spending money? And so I think that also ties into the, the minimalism and decluttering as well. Like instead of just a gut reaction, and that's of course why Amazon does so well, because they have just like two clicks. I'm just going to buy this thing. Great. It's you, one you, click you, now. It's or one ridiculous. click, is it? You, 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 don't, you just think about it. You don't have to click it. You just, you just tie it into your brain. And uh, yeah, so in, like, in, like, yeah. like I talked about with the water example, like if you can kind of build in those, those barriers to buying something or, or using a resource, if you have to think about it, if you have to, instead of, let's say, for example, this would be a little more extreme, but if you just sold your car and just said, I'm going to bike everywhere and that's it, like you don't have an option to drive. Because you're going to choose the driving option. You're going to choose the easiest option. You know, mm -hmm. if it's easy, you can do it. You're going to do it. And so if, if, although it's a little more difficult, if you can kind of build those things into your life, I find that's kind of a bit of a life hack and that you, you make it a bit more difficult. And by the time you're, you're going to do that thing, you've already decided that, hey, I don't actually need that book at this time. I don't need to buy that thing. And, and you're better for it. Yeah. And just a little way I do that in my house, like there's, you can do this with lots of things, but one even little way that I do it is I have my, I have a dresser behind me, um, in my office and I have my printer in the top drawer. So it's not sitting out, it's tucked away and I can use it when I need it. But I found that by tucking it away, I actually use it a lot less. Like I was sometimes just being like, oh, I can just print that off because then I can make my notes on it and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, now I'm using less paper. I'm using less ink. It, it has just a slight little bit of discomfort. Like just, it takes me 20 seconds to pull it out of the drawer. Yeah. The plug's right there. I plug it in. I take my laptop. I plug it right in. It's not difficult. And yet even just those little things, you know, just a little discomfort really can kind of make that um, just kind of stop you from doing that knee jerk reaction. Like we were saying, so you're lazy. People are lazy and totally, that's, good. Totally <laughs> that's a good thing. We are, we are, we are. <laughs> and I try not to get down on myself for being that way. <laughs> no, it's good though. It's the, the build it into the day. It's like, I know I'm lazy. So yes, make work that work it, for you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. One thing I definitely want to ask you before we go, and I don't know that I have prepped you for this one. So sorry, but what was your decluttering process like? I don't know what your life was like before you decided to move tiny. Obviously, it took you four years to finish your house, so you had kind of time to prepare. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those people, though, that if I have a deadline, I'm a procrastinator. I totally am, and I will wait until the last minute to do it anyway. So um, I don't know. What was your process like, and how was it? You said you were living in 800 square feet, so obviously mm -hmm. you were already kind of small, but you went to 25% of your square footage. So. Yeah. Talk us through it. Yeah, no, you're right. And because it took four years, that made the transition a little bit easier. It wasn't like one, one day to the next, like, oh, I'm living in a tiny house now. Oh, shoot. Like it was, it was a, a slow transition. So part of that was at that time when I was building, not accumulating more things because I knew that, okay, we are downsizing. I know that's coming. I'm not going to buy that big screen TV. So kind of that helped with the transition. And then really, I think the biggest thing was actually moving on to the farm where we live and we moved we, with all our stuff essentially we didn't put everything in the house to start so we just moved with the house empty and then we started filling it up and kind of seeing what fit and what didn't and and that really helped in the the, the decluttering process that we went through it and said you know what like like i said the monstera we knew wouldn't fit but other things we just what yeah what fits and what doesn't and what do we need and what don't we need so it was a bit of it was a bit pragmatic for sure kind of maybe even before the move, as, you know, as with any move, I'm sure you know that mm -hmm. you eventually just start throwing stuff like, I don't need that. I don't want to pack that. It's another thing to, to move. So we probably got rid of a few things there. But once we actually moved into the house, that was when we really realized how much space we had and, and how we could work with that. So I think if we had to, when we move again, if we do, it'll probably be a lot easier move because everything's in the house. We can kind of just pick it up and go. And I mean, that being said, we live on a farm and, and there is some extra space. We do have a few other things in a, another house on, on the property. So even though we are downsizing, we do have a few other things. Like we don't live with every single item. We don't have a hundred items in our life or something. And I think that's also, you know, going back to that personal responsibility, mm -hmm. especially, you know, being in Canada, we have four seasons. We've got lots of winter, we got summer, 
we like to bike and we like to ski and we like to hike and how do you fit all those activities into your, your, your small space, right? So prioritizing those, but also being realistic that, you know, sometimes you can't fit everything in your tiny house and, and that's okay. Oh, I appreciate the reality there. I appreciate the realism that, yeah, you don't often see that kind of behind the scenes. And that was one of my questions. Like we have taken on new hobbies. We moved sure. to San Diego a couple of years ago. We've taken on new hobbies. We have a surfboard now and we have paddle boards and um, we sold our snowboarding equipment, but we'd love to buy that again. And, <laughs> you know, it's kind of those, those things of, yeah, how do, how do you deal with that kind of stuff and knowing that you only have a certain amount, but yeah, being real about it and being like, okay, well, this is the stuff I love and I'm just going to, I can store it in the off mm -hmm. season and I can get it when we need it and you can swap that stuff out. Yeah. Um, so oh, I appreciate the, the realness there because I think yeah. sometimes people try to say, but it's perfect. I have a hundred items and yeah, it's great. Right? Yeah. And you're like, um, I just meditate like, all day and I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. Like, and yeah. Even yeah. And then I think like you, oh, you, yeah. you know, we talked about buying quality too, right? Like if you're buying things at last, mm -hmm. um, you're gonna, more likely to keep those things and take care of them. And, you know, our, our outdoor equipment is a good example that we've invested quite a bit into that. So right. we're going to take care of it. We're going to, to keep it. Um, but talking about some of your outdoor gear, it's not always available in every place you live, but sometimes there are like sharing economy type things where you mm. can rent certain things. If you, you know, that's, that's another thing is like, instead of right. buying that, that paddle board that I want to try, like maybe rent it, try it out. Maybe you like it. And if you like it enough to do it a lot, then purchase it. So are there ways that. that you can, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> are there ways that you can, you know, rent things, even tools, things like that, try oh, them sure. out, you know, just instead of assuming that default, I have to buy this thing. Now you're again, limiting your environmental footprint because you're not buying a new thing. Right. You're making use of something else and, and potentially stimulating the economy. So there's, there's all sorts of things you can do in that realm as well. That's true. Okay. Well, next time I go snowboarding and I rent from Blowers, I'll think, hey, I'm just there helping the company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stimulating the economy. There we go. Uh, don't mind the extra hour it takes to get stuff in return. <laughs> <laughs> but again, right? Slight inconvenience may sure. be worth it. And yeah. I was going to say back um, to kind of that realism point, like when we traveled, right? We traveled with carry-on suitcases, but that is just part of it, right? Like I rented an Airbnb that sure. was fully furnished, that had yeah. a furnished kitchen, that had everything that we needed there, had all the linens, had all the stuff. So it wasn't like, I can just live, you know, I'm not pitching a tent everywhere I go. So those are kinds of the things though. I think that people can get wrapped up in the persona that they see from people on social media. And I just, it's one thing I don't, want people to feel bad about themselves or compare themselves and feel like they're not measuring up or not doing good enough um, because there's always a little bit of a story. So that's why I was yeah, really no, for happy sure. about the, the realness there. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, I think a good term I've heard is like the purity test. Like if you're not a hundred percent, like I still yeah. drive a car. I still, you know, like I'm, I live in a tiny house, but I, I yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't have like a zero, like just, if you want to uh, to lower your environmental footprint yeah. the most, you just you just kill yourself basically. Because <laughs> then you you have zero not, footprints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you just we we have to live. You have to live your life right. a little bit and then be conscious about it. But yeah, I think being real about it also gets more people on board because people who right. just can't or don't want to change, they you know they don't have to beat themselves up. They don't have to live in a tiny house. They can still do their part. And and not sacrifice as much. And and if, and if people want to travel or live in a tiny house, great. What like what does that look like for you? It doesn't have to look like what my life looks like, and that's okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, so good. Well, Michael, I know people are going to want to follow up. I know they're going to listen to your podcast. And so, where can people find you? Yeah, if you go to www.inovermyheadpodcast.com, that's where the show lives, and you can get it also on all the various podcast sites um, but i don't use social media and that's maybe another conversation but i intentionally chose not to do that so you cannot find me on social media sorry but you can send me an email and <laughs> i will probably it. respond because it's a real person so send me an email info at inovermyheadpodcast.com but yeah listen to the show and that'd be great if you can learn something absolutely okay and then my favorite way to end every interview is with three rapid fire questions so the first one is what does minimalism mean to you yeah, so minimalism to me, I think talking about housing, it's about making room, 
you know, sure, that could be having fewer physical objects, but that also extends to your time and your mental space. So making room for the people and the projects that fill your heart with joy, making room in your mind for being in the moment, not being distracted. So that's, that's what minimalism means to me. Hmm, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one on the on mic from my guests. I like that. Um, what is one of your favorite pieces of advice that you'd like to share today? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this one. And um, I think just wait, for me and my project in the tiny house and environmentalism, like, like we kind of talked about not beating yourself up and, and not like putting the work in. Like if, I think people really underestimate how much work certain things like the house require, you know, four years, thousands of hours, making a podcast, as, as you know, lots of work. So when you're looking at any sort of decluttering, downsizing, any renovation project, anything like it's going to take so much more work than you think it will. And, and to be prepared for that. So set yourself up for success by saying, yeah, it's going to take twice as long. So I'm, I'm prepared for that. And by doing that and sticking with it, um, you'll, you'll be better off. Hmm. Was my one. thought. That's what I came up with. That's a good one. Hey, <laughs> it's only one of your favorites. It doesn't have to be the best piece or, oh. you know, your favorite. It's it was a tricky question. It's, it's a big I one. know. Sorry. I do kind of do that sometimes. <laughs> and then what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? Yeah, I think uh, so. I sh we moved to the tiny house um, last spring. So it's been almost a year and shifting there, moving on to the farm. Um, so we live on a farm in Southern Alberta and the owners are in their 80s and they're still farming. And to me, that's just so inspirational. So meeting them and seeing that you can be in your 80s and, and still be doing something you love, I think is so inspirational and, and building that community. So I do kind of odd jobs to pay for the spot on the, on the farm. And it's just been such a rewarding experience. We love it here. And, and we love that little family that we've built here. Oh, so good. Well, that is a great way to end it. So thank you so much for joining me on the Wannabe Minimalist Show. Have a great yeah, day. Thanks for having me, Deanna. Absolutely. Cheers. Wow. I just loved this episode and I had so much fun talking with Michael. It was just as much fun when I listened to it the second time while I was editing it as it was the first time in the conversation. I love how he opened my eyes to the idea that while we should, of course, live our values, and that might include being good stewards of the environment if that's important to us, the most positive change we can advocate for is making big policy changes, because the biggest polluters are not individuals, but large corporations. So if this was eye-opening to you too, I hope he has inspired you to get curious and contact your local representatives to see what changes can be made. You can find the link to Michael's website and podcast in over my head in the show notes or on my website at wannabeclutterfree.com slash 95. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 95. And that just about wraps it up for today's episode. But before I go, I do want to take a minute to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked this episode or found any episode helpful, please consider leaving me a review on Apple podcast. It makes my day and it helps me so much. I hope you have a fabulous day and I will see you again here next week. I'm Deanna Yates and this is the Wannabe Minimalist Show. Cheers. <laughs>